Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Welcome to Positivity Strategist. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel, your host. As always, thank you so much for joining in today to listen to another valuable episode. And I'm confident you'll take away some valuable nuggets from this episode because my guest today has important and highly practical information for us as we live more and more in the complexities of our ever-changing world. And you're going to benefit from this, especially if you feel you're too busy, you're feeling overwhelmed, you might be feeling stressed, it could be that you feel a little inadequate or simply a little depleted. You're going to hear some practicalities that may just help you make some positive changes in your life. I call my guest a global citizen as she's lived and worked in many places in the world and in many industries and in nonprofit organizations as well. Early in her career, she was in the IT and financial services sectors with roles in sales and marketing. I'm so delighted to introduce Meg Salter, a mindfulness coach. Welcome, Meg. Good morning, Robin. I am so delighted to be speaking with you today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And um, tell us, where are you right now, since you've uh, to- traveled so much? <laughs> today, I'm in Toronto, Canada. It's a sunny but cool day, you know, mid-40s, uh, but we're all grateful for the sun because we know what's coming. It'll be snow. <laughs> yes, it will be, yeah. Um, and is that, is that where you came from originally, Meg? Um, actually, I was born in Toronto, um, but I have moved around quite a bit in my life. Um, shortly after I married, we spent five years in, living in Europe, living, studying and working in Europe, in um, London, England and Brussels, Belgium. And then when we came back, I spent nine years in the French side of Canada in Montreal. Uh, and then moved back to Toronto. So I've come full full spiral, shall we say, but but not the girl I was when I left. Mm. What a gift. I think travel is such a gift to us. I mentioned your corporate background, um, or just, you know, in a sentence, and I'd love for you, Meg, to bring us up to date with where you are now in your life, um, professionally, personally. Sure. Um, delighted to. At the moment, at this stage in my career version 3.0, 4.0, whatever it is, I'm focusing on individual work, executive coaching and mindfulness coaching. Uh, But to that, I bring a strong background in the corporate world. My my MBA was earned in Brussels, Belgium, um, uh, and also a strong background in organizational change and consulting. I did that for many years, leadership development uh, and also my training as an integral master coach, which is a very holistic um, approach to, to training in any kind of way, uh, an approach that looks both at our impulses towards a positive unfolding future and whatever limiting forces we may have that hold us back. So while I've done a lot of strategy work and written way more than my fair share of uh, consulting reports, <laughs> I tend now to focus on, on the individual piece. 
Mm. through executive coaching and mindfulness coaching. So in our conversation today, we're going to focus on the topic of mindfulness and how you're using that professionally. And um, I also am very excited to dive into the content and the intention of your book. And let me just give the title of that. Um, It's called Mind Your Life with Mm. the subtitle of How Mindfulness Can Build Resilience and Reveal Your Extraordinary. (laughs) So, wonderful title, and um, I'm going to go there in a moment. But before I do that, um, I wonder, Meg, I really like to invite my guests to reflect a little bit and see if there's anything in your upbringing or in your early life that you could point to with hindsight and think maybe there were some earlier events or influences that um, might have hinted at where you are today and that you might end up as an executive coach with a focus on mindfulness? You know, that's a great question, Robin. Um, you know, I, and looking back, and it's kind of it's a good question. It's the kind of thing I often ask my, my clients is what brought you here? And I think, you know, I mean, as a young woman, I was fairly shy. And when I was in the corporate world and doing IT sales, women in leadership were fairly rare. And so there was always a question of, like, how does it work here? And how can I be myself and still fit with this organization? So this sense of always being slightly in but slightly out. Um, so that sort of gives one a perspective of uh, looking and curiosity and what's going on here. Um, how do things tick? Um, I was often brought in as a change agent in organizations, but, you know, then the antibodies of the system would hit in and you'd sort of get get rejected because they don't really want the change they think they want. Um, so that's on one side. On the other side, and what brought me to the mindfulness piece was uh, personal trauma in my own family life, the suicide of my brother uh, many years ago, which really made me realize, you know, things things don't always work out. Um and bad things can happen to good people. Mm-hmm. And it really gave me an appreciation of um, probably a greater compassion than I would have had otherwise for the depths of suffering people can bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a way, that, that cracked me open. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the personal side. And, and, but there's always this slight, you know, miraculous, like, how did I end up here? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think, I think those are the two things that I can point to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing those. Um, Yeah, often it is that there's something there that I like the way that you say cracks you open um, and gets you to think more profoundly about, you know, what's the meaning of this and what's it all about and what's my role here and, um, you know, how can I, how am I dealing with this? So it invites us really to do a little exploration and and become far more aware. And maybe this leads into mindfulness. Well, you know, I certainly wasn't smart enough to figure it out all ahead of time. And I think, unfortunately, most of us need a certain degree of, of challenge or stress to really get us to go deeper. And, you know, what we know in learning and development and uh, any kind of change, it's that magical sweet spot between challenge and support. And so that was the challenge that broke me open. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we all face that one way or another, don't we? Mm, it's absolutely. How we it's, it's how we respond to those stresses that makes the difference, which, of course, is where mindfulness can come in as well as executive coaching. Absolutely. So in preparation for our call, um, I did a little bit of Googling and I searched for mindfulness and meditation. 
And what came up for mindfulness was 81 million searches. That's a big number, right? That's a big number. Yep. And what came up for meditation were 218 million searches. Huge. Then I looked at mindfulness and meditation together, and there were about 30 million searches for that. So mindfulness is really out there right now. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, you're into, um, you know, you're now teaching and coaching with mindfulness. So has it become mainstream or what's your thinking around the popularity of people wanting to know more about mindfulness? Uh, that's a great question, Robin. Uh, the short answer is absolutely it's become mainstream. Um, and let me tell you, when I started 20 years ago, it was not. <laughs> Um, I would only tell my very closest friends what I was doing. Uh, and now I, I, I teach it openly and, and can tell my clients I'm going away for a week's retreat and they, they're interested. Mm -hmm. So absolutely it's gone mainstream and there are lots and lots of benefits of that. Um, many people have tried it. Uh, many people have got some kind of benefit out of it. Um, there's uh, people have been at this long enough that we can apply good science uh, to both people who had, you know, a short-term eight-week intervention or who've been studying and practicing mm. for years and mm. what's the impact on them. Yeah. Hey, Meg, let me just interrupt you for a moment. Why don't we just, why don't I get you to define mindfulness? All right. Um, so mind, that's kind of the point, is that mindfulness can be defined in many, many different kinds of ways. Um, and it can be you know, in a sort of a mainstream kind of loosely, it's sort of about an attitude of being more aware and mindful of this and mindful of that. Um, so it can mean many things to many different people, which is part of the downside of the hype. Uh -huh. um, so um, I use one definition, which is learning to pay attention to what's happening in the present moment in the mind, body, and external environment with an attitude of curiosity and kindness. Mm. That's actually a definition that came out of a study in the UK on mindfulness. Mm. What I add in the book is that um, the you know, how do you do that? Like that sounds great, but how do you actually do that? I mean, I'm an executive coach, and I'm used to helping people uh, achieve outcomes through practices. So, in Mind Your Life, I'll say that how you learn to pay deeper attention is by developing the core attentional skills, mm -hmm. which underlie that of concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. Mm -hmm. I also say that there are a lot of, there are a whole variety of mindfulness practices that you can select from, and you can shape those to suit your schedule and your personal style. But that also that you have to practice smart, mm -hmm. that you've got to find a way to build this into your life for effectiveness and for impact. So actually, I think clarity about language and terms is really helpful. And what will be one of the things that help people sort of get over a bit of a mindfulness hype that I think we're in right now. Right. Yeah, that's really good. So, well, you know, the, the key word there is the attentiveness, paying attention. Right. It, you know, I think that the key aha for many people, Robin, and it certainly was for me, hmm. is an understanding that our capacity to pay attention is, is a thing. It's not just a given. Right. Um, there, a good analogy is exercise. And, you know, in the 50s and 60s, uh, um, if you were running, out running on the street, somebody would have said, who's chasing you? 
<laughs> and now we know, <laughs> now we know, unless you were military or an athlete, right? <laughs> but now we know that our physical capacities can be developed through systematic exercise. Mm. Um, our capacity to pay attention is also like a muscle. Yeah. And we can learn to expand it um, in a way that can be absolutely remarkable. And, and part of the reason for the book, of course, is that I believe that the demands on our attentional faculties are, for many people, at a stretch and breaking point. And so knowing that you can actually expand that, that you can be permanently more focused, more productive, more equanimous without even trying, and that comes from a fairly doable practice every day. What was the word you used? Uh, equanimous. Equanimous. Yes. What's you that can have, it's, it's the skill of equanimity. Ah, and equanimity good. is the ability mm-hmm. for you to fully experience in your senses, your mm-hmm. mind, body, what's going on mm-hmm. without pushing it away or hanging on to it. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the core underlying skills in mindful awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come to your book and the, and the practices in a moment. I'd like you to say more about that because uh, it's got an intriguing title and the, the chapter headings are great and what I've read of it, it's really easy to read. So I want to invest a bit of time in that. But just before we go there, Meg, I had a couple of other thoughts that I just wanted to invite you to talk about and that is um, – and I'm quoting from your site actually now. You say on your homepage that as a leader – you ask the question. So this is what you're asking. As a leader, do you want to create positive change for yourself, your organization or your world? And then a second part of that question is, do you want to boost your resilience? So creating positive change and talking about positivity, uh, you know, right in my bailiwick. And I agree with what you're saying about mindfulness. These are things, these are capacities and capabilities that you can grow, right? You can strengthen those and you learn practices and change your habits and change your thinking around all of that. But um, just talk to me a little bit about mindfulness um, in relation to creating positive change. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I, I think, Robin, that, I mean, virtually all the clients that I deal with are well-intentioned. They want to do something positive in their lives. But sometimes their intentions or their reach is is bigger than their grasp. Um, so what I can do as an executive coach and a mindfulness coach is figure out with them um, what are some of the things that are hindering them, that are getting in the way, um, and how can they build capacity and skills to actually achieve their positive intentions. Mm. Um and, you know, mindfulness and the resilience that it builds, the actual muscles that it builds are, are a big part of that. Um, for example, with a, with a client, you can be, you know, what it will do is it'll help build your self-awareness uh, when you're sitting there meditating and focusing on body sensations or the breath. Then you, all of a sudden you realize what's going on in your head. Because you're aware of the internal chatter, what I call in the book your default attentional network or DAN. The kind of thinking that is occurring in your head when you're not thinking about anything in particular. Mm. So all of a sudden you're aware of the little voice in your head and you're able to question it. You're able to say, is this really so? Um, You become aware of the emotions in your body and uh, where those reside, the stories that you tell yourself. Um, 
when you're develop that kind of awareness, you have the capacity for freedom. Mm-hmm. You can make a choice. You're not just yanked around by unconscious patterns. You see them. And when you see them, you can make a choice to do things differently. Mm-hmm. So that's where, you know, most of us aren't trying to be bad people. Most of us are trying to do the best we can with what we have in the situations we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, in the old days, this was called liberation. <laughs> And so this is one of the ways that, you know, um, that mindfulness can can liberate us from self-defeating um, assumptions sometimes or emotional patterns that we've developed, rigidity in the body that we've developed as a result. Um, that's why I say it can lead to extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, – I'm just wondering, um, as you were describing all of that, it might be fun and helpful if you – could share a story with us um, where you've seen a client or somebody you know that you know that um, has been able to apply these practices and develop this capability. Is, does one come to mind? Well, certainly um, in the book itself, I one of the things I did was interview uh, people who had been able to keep up a practice for at least three years. Um, one of the things that we know is part of the hype is that many people can take a course, but only one in 10 continue after a period of six to nine months, Mm. like any other positive life habit, you know, healthy eating, good exercise, going to bed on time. Um, there's challenges in setting up healthy life habits. So I wanted to see what had been work for people. Mm -hmm. So one of the stories in the book is I call the woman Barbara and she'd had a major business setback. Uh, to do with, you know, partners leaving and so forth, taking some of the intellectual IP, setting up a competitor, et cetera. And it was a company where the employees owned shares. So she was protecting not just her own personal business, but people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. And she went to the mindfulness program. Um, and her goal there was she wanted to not be angry through a litigious process. How can I not hold hate in my heart? As she's fighting for her business, her livelihood, and the livelihood of 100-odd people. And she was able to do that because when she was sitting in her basement, in this case, she used breath as a practice, um, all the, you know, she was able to kind of process some of the anxiety and the ambiguity and the emotional feelings around it. So it didn't come out when she was talking with her employees and it didn't come out in the courtroom. Mm. So um, this stuff can really change lives. Now, she had a huge motivation, of course, and that's what I often help people with is, why do you want to do this? And how can we anchor this motivation in a way that makes sense for you? Yeah, well, that's the intention piece, right? Yes, and I think, you know, for any change, we know that why you want to create the change is important. And with any client, executive or client or mindfulness client, it's like, why are you here? What What would better look like? What would positive change look like? And that helps anchor it for them because in any change process, things can get a little bit worse before they get better Mm. at the learning curve. And you have to have something that anchors you and keeps you on track in the wobbly days. Yeah. And um, you're aware of appreciative inquiry, aren't you? I love appreciative inquiry. I certainly, I've done a lot of group process work, you know, future search back in the day, appreciative inquiry, open space technology. So yeah, of uh, course, your OD background. Yeah, and yeah. we owe our um, our newfound relationship to um, a mutual 
professional colleague, Maureen McKenna, Mo McKenna, right? Absolutely. I love Mo. <laughs> and she's the AI queen here in Northern Canada. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So that's exciting. So I, that popped into my mind as you were talking about some of the challenges that we face with you know, embracing change or resisting change, whichever frame you take. Um, and of course, through our appreciative inquiry worldview, we really focus on what is to be valued and appreciated and working from the past that we can take forward, which can shift the whole um, approach to change. So I think that framework really leads into or, or complements you know, mindfulness in the sense of where are you putting your attention? Are you putting your attentions on the deficits and the things that don't work and distress you? Or are you focusing on the things that hope and possibility, um, opportunities and so on? So it's a lot about reframing as well. Certainly, there's a huge part of a huge part of reframing. Um, people can begin to realize that they're um, you can realize where your attention is going when you're not paying attention to it, if that makes any sense. And so it's a bit like I sometimes joke, it's a bit like opening up a long lost closet and finding some, you know, some stuff in the in the back of the closet you hadn't realized was there. Mm. Um, but the key and I mentioned equanimity before um, as one of the core skills is that, you know, when you are doing these practices and you begin to realize, for example, that you're thinking about an argument you had and what's going on in your head isn't particularly complimentary towards the person that you were angry with, you still bring the skill of equanimity, which is allowing yourself to embrace that sensation in the body. Mm. So there's always this experience of rather than tightening up and turning away, from unpleasant experience, which is a natural response for animals. We are not supposed to put our hands in the fire. Um, is that when something is uncomfortable, there are ways to open up and turn towards it. This is allowing things to crack you open, as we referred to earlier, in a positive way. Yes. So there always is this, um, even if you're um, feeling yourself fidgety or you're sitting for 20 minutes and your body is aching, um, and when is that timer going to go off? There is still always doing the best to cultivate an actual capacity to embrace what you're experiencing. Mm. So there's always this positive underlying thread. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. let's move to your book because we can go a little bit more deeply into some of the practices now because I'm just itching to ask you about that. Like, let's talk about the how. <laughs> so firstly, um, the title of your book, Mind Your Life, it's gorgeous. And, and the cover, um, which people will see on the show notes because there'll be obviously links to um, many of your resources, to your website, Meg, um, to uh, you know the cover of the book and how people can get it. Um, and let me just say that this, let me just give a little plug here for people who are listening and not reading. This is positivitystrategist.com slash PS79. Um, and so if um, people just key that in, they'll be able to go to the website and find these resources. So, yes, yeah, so talk to me about the title, Mind Your Life. How did you come up with that? And about the illustration on the cover and, you know, the intention and writing it. I mean, all those good things. Well, you know, I do. I do. Can, thank you, Robin. Uh, first of all, I've got to shout out to my husband, because after many false starts, he helped me come up with the title Mind Your Life. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and by the way, he doesn't meditate, uh, but, but he supports me all the time in my practice. Um, I wanted something that spoke to this second generation 
counter hype that I kind of referred to earlier on. Mm -hmm. And the word mind speaks to that attentional capacity that we talked about. It speaks to um, both mind and heart, if you will. And life means that you can pay attention to anything in your life. And, you know, the tagline on the bottom is not just about following your breath. That is one method. You can pay attention to all of your life, to physical sensations, to emotional sensations, to thinking as it occurs in in your interior monologue and potentially internal images in your mind. You can pay attention to the people around you, to the surroundings. It's everything. Mm. It's a wide open field. And Mm. when you mind your life, small l, capital L life, life has a way of minding you back. Mm. So when you open up your attention and intention to all of life, life has a way of supporting you differently. And that's attested to in some of the stories that I talk to. Yeah. Let me just jump in there because also what came up for me um, in that title, and it it is so, um, you know, there's a kind of, um, what am I looking for? Like a an ambiguity there. I mean, it's open to interpretation, which is really beautiful, like a piece of art, right? That's um, the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, uh, oh, glad, I'm glad I got the point. <laughs> and so with that too, um, it touches for me on valuing the wholeness of life, um, you know, and that then speaks to an integral approach, so all of those things are somehow interconnected, interdependent, and they're all um, captured in this title, which I think is, you know, as I say, very striking. Thank you very much. No, absolutely, I wanted to, to point to the wholeness of experience and that mindfulness can help you embrace the wholeness of experience in a deeper way than you thought possible. The, um, the artwork um, is a little piece of it's like an origami pattern, and it's it's quite different than the you know what you often find is you know sort of balancing rocks or somebody blissed out on the edge of an ocean with the surf gently around them, and, and this points to the fact that you can take something very ordinary, like you and me, or a piece of paper, and you apply some steps. There are some steps in a process that you can apply, and you end up with something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. In this case. A hat, a little red hat. Um, you take something that's practically two-dimensional and it becomes three-dimensional and able to navigate the world. Mm. So it kind of pointed to the fact that there are systematic processes. There are a whole variety of them. Um, and the book tries to point you into, you know, give you some various options, a bit like a menu. And you can choose the ones that suit your personality and your schedule. But there is the potential to take something straightforward like you in my life, and end up something that's an extraordinary contribution to the world. Mm. Yeah, so a little bit like how you choose to configure things yes. for your life, yeah. Because it's almost counterintuitive because it's very geometric. And as you say, I had a big smile on my face when you're talking about the usual graphic depiction is the balancing rocks or, you know, yeah. The well, sunset know, or sitting on, the, sitting on the, the shore or something kind, beautiful like that. You know, that's very awe-inspiring. But this, this is far more practical. Um, and as I say, for me, it was kind of counterintuitive. So who came well, up with that idea? Well, I came up with the title and the, the publishing firm that I worked with came up with the artwork. Uh-huh. And they were, they were kind of thinking, oh, I'm not sure she's going to like it. But I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I don't know about your life, but I can be, I can have those lovely, awesome moments mm-hmm. once in a while. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that when you develop your attentional capacities, that becomes your everyday experience. You're much more open to the awe that is our natural world when you can appreciate deeply whatever is going on around you. You can see right through it and let it see through you. So I find that the extraordinary is not necessarily found on vacation, although those are lovely, or special moments, but the extraordinary is found right here and now. Mm. You know, that speaks to the spiritual element that many people, uh, some people bring to mindfulness practice. It certainly speaks to the spiritual or contemplative practices from which all mindfulness uh, practices derive. Uh, and it's an important capacity for many people. Mm. Yeah. And um, did you actually have a specific audience or target group in mind as you were writing? You know, were you. Uh, well, I had a few faces pinned to the wall. Oh, your personas <laughs> up there. But I was thinking of a target <laughs> audience. So, you know, people who are um, very busy, uh, largely productive and functioning. Uh, I will say, actually, as a sidebar, that mindfulness is not necessarily for everybody, that I do have psychiatrists and psychologist colleagues who will not work with people who are extremely vulnerable. Uh, You need to have a certain amount of ego strength before you can come at your ego with this kind of tool. Mm. Uh, So I am looking at people who are um, busy, largely productive, but kind of wondering, is this it? Mm. Like, I thought there was something more in life. Or um, they're just feeling stretched and, and thinking, I'm doing everything I know how to do, but there's something I'm not getting. Um, so let's look at the book now. And um, there are 11 chapters in the book, and I'm looking at the, um, the contents now. Um, so I just leave it to you, Meg. Um, is there anything or what particularly would you like to to share with us as illustrative of, you know, the practices that you outline in, in your beautiful book? Um, certainly. Uh, the Unified Mindfulness System is, um, has been created by an individual named Shinzen Young. He's a, a sort of early 70s, uh, one of the most senior meditation mindfulness teachers um, in North America, been collaborating with uh, the intersection between uh, science and spirituality and advising labs such as Carnegie Mellon for a number of years. Um, And somebody I've been working with for quite a long time. And he's a geek, uh, (laughs) which he's very proud of. And so this book is an attempt to turn geek speak into an accessible praxis. Um, So things like what are the core underlying skills behind any mindfulness practice, any meditation practice, concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. And then developing what I call a meta framework, kind of like an umbrella framework. And I would use umbrella frameworks in strategy or in organizational development. A meta framework that is kind of a comp, sort of an umbrella framework for quite a few different types of meditative or mindfulness practices, because there are a lot. Mindfulness-based stress reduction, which most people think of when they think of mindfulness and to which we owe a huge debt of gratitude to John Kabat-Zinn, who founded it in the Mm. 1980s, focuses on three things, essentially. Yoga, which is great. I mean, that was a new thing in the 80s, yoga. 
this practice of body scan or body awareness and uh, focus on the breath. But there are many, many different kinds of mindfulness practices, and not everybody likes focusing on the breath. Um, there are many ways of developing concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. So this particular approach lays out a variety of them. Mm. They're categorized um, in a framework that um, sort of parallels what we know about the transformational um, change process in individuals. And I'll use Otto Scharmer's U-curve for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a way of sort of, you know, uh, observing what's going on at increasing levels of depth, being in a place of ambiguity and not knowing and then recreating something positive. So you can see links to uh, positive and appreciative inquiry, positivity, psychology, et cetera, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But all underlined by a uh, common language that focuses on our sensory experiences. Mm. And so for that, we use some fairly simple terms, you know, feeling, which refers to the feeling body, both the sort of biological body and the the sort of the the emotions as they surface in the body. Seeing, which refers to both what we see externally around us and also what we might see in the mind's eye when we close our eyes. And hearing, which again refers to anything that we hear in the external environment around us. It could be sights and sounds of the world, my voice talking, or what we hear when we turn our attention internally to the default attentional network, Dan, muttering away in our head. Yeah. So it's, it's a um, common sense language that can be broadly applied. And I find working with people that, um, that they love it. <laughs> yeah, and it makes such good sense. I mean, just the fact that we sometimes, well, not sometimes, but we, we, we lack the, the foundational ability to pay attention to our own sensory experiences. Well, you know, we do, but there's, I think there's a good reason for that. Now, you know, I'm not a, I, I'm not trained that way, but, you know, um, we, we know that most of our brain is on autopilot. We know that we only have a limited amount of sort of neurological capacity. And we are creatures and we are wired to pay attention to, uh, to be alert to negative to signals. Right. You know, the baby crying in the night, that little, you know, pedestrian scooting across in front of you. Um, you know, our, our cave dwelling ancestors and somebody was alert at the front of the cave, you know, waiting for prey to come in. So, so we're kind of attuned to um, to signals to keep us preserved. Of course. So we have so that's you know I mean that's common sense really, but what if we took those same capacities that were latent and only triggered by alertness signals and applied them to everyday life? Mm. What would your life look like if you brought that same depth? The capacity that you can bring when a loved one is ill, uh, when you're navigating your way out of a car accident. Um, What if those capacities were available more often? What would your life be like then? Yeah, yeah. And then how can you fine-tune those, right? That's the how piece. How can you fine-tune those in daily life? Mm-hmm. I, I refer to mindfulness as a resilience booster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do these practices that can seem a little weird, <laughs> you want me to do what? Pay attention to my breath, pay attention to my thinking. So we do those practices in safe, contained ways, 20 minutes, sitting on a chair in the morning, 
Sometimes when we're driving, before a meeting, after a meeting, before an argument, we do those practices in safe, contained ways. Because mm-hmm. we're practicing. Mm-hmm. It's like you go to the gym and you lift weights. You yeah. start off with five-pound weights, not 50. Yeah. So that so would you, when stuff hits the fan, yep. you have capacity to deal with it. Sorry. Very good. No, I, did, I interrupted you. Because I would love you to give us a couple of practices. What are we practicing before we go into the meeting or before we, you know, we, we meet a challenge or when we want to be able to respond to something in a more mindful way? Other than the meditation and the breathing and so on, what, what else can you offer us? Well, one of the things that I like to help people with is to craft a customized practice, whether it's an executive coaching client or a mindfulness coaching client. We're all different. We're all unique. And so creating a practice that somebody can directly work with uh, that suits them is fine. Is that what you do? Some people love focusing on, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Every, every single mindfulness client, they will work with them, and I'll t- whether that's a group client or individual, we work with people so that they have their own unique customized practice. It's like a personal trainer, yeah. only for the soul. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, might, might, what might be, can you give me three? I mean, what might you recommend? So um, there are... A, and give us the context, you know, what might be the situation and what might you recommend? Um, let's... So I'm going to make this up in the moment, Robin. Yep. Let's say you're kind of a high-energy person and you're catalyzed by activity. Um, but you know that you don't know how to relax. Mm-hmm. So I would develop a practice where somebody can focus on deep belly breathing Because we know that when you pay attention to breath in the chest or in the belly, the stomach expands, the lung expands, and you get in more oxygen. Mm -hmm. So I help people. So that would be an example of 15, 20 minutes in the morning, become aware of relaxation in the body, know exactly where it is in the body, feel it spread and expand, notice relaxation in the mind. There could be pauses in the internal thinking. Notice external silences around you. Sink into that. So they develop the capacity to notice non-active triggers. In other words, the larger surround. And so that becomes a capacity to tap into relaxation on demand. Mm -hmm. So that when you've got a nervous meeting coming up, you're about to give a performance review, you're doing a big presentation, you can do that for two minutes before the meeting. Right. But you can't do it if you haven't practiced. Yeah. So that's the whole point of practice is you do the moves, mm-hmm. whether it's yoga or weightlifting or whatever it is you do, you get the form right. Mm-hmm. And you develop some core capacities so that when you're in a situation of demand and stress, you have more capacity to deal with it. You literally have more bandwidth. So that would be one example, focusing into the relaxation side of experience. And as we said earlier, there's a lot of relaxation present in our bodies. There's a lot more quiet in the world out there, but we don't pay attention to it. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a great example. I mean, throughout this, this um, time we've had together, um, I personally have a much deeper appreciation of where you're coming from with mindfulness, and it makes absolute sense to me. And I hope the listeners are having that same experience. Um, and so, with the with the book, Meg, um, how uh, how are you using it? You know, are you 
offering it to your clients? Is it like a textbook? I mean, can people actually, if they went and bought it, could they come up with their own their own practice, you know? Absolutely. I think what, you know, I've tried to go to the simplicity on the other side of complexity, if you like. Um, so this was designed, um, I occasionally sort of thought of this, this is a bit like a cookbook for the soul. Mm-hmm. And in a cookbook, you don't necessarily read it cover to cover. That's a good title, by the way. Well, it, that was one of the <laughs> alternate subtitles, but what if you don't like to cook? I didn't want to turn those people off. <laughs> um, but you don't necessarily read it cover to cover, and you don't have to cook everything in the book, right? Right. You may, you may specialize in desserts or soups, or uh, in the winter you like a stew, but in the summer it's barbecue time. Mm. So I wanted to give something that people could – you know, um, kind of under skim through as they wanted. Some people will love the stories that will be inspirational. Some will need the science piece. My engineering clients, they really need to see the science piece. Mm-hmm. You know, show me this is valid and not just made up. Um, I wanted to sort of get people to understand more deeply some of the fundamentals behind any practice, concentration, clarity, and equanimity, the practice of deep attention or noting, and then give people a variety of practices. You only need one. Mm. you only need one and they can read them they can try them out so this is absolutely designed that if you buy the book you can teach yourself yeah you can pick it up and um, you know often with a book when I'm needing some inspiration or something to help me or lift me I'll pick up a book that I really love like a book like this and I would just um, maybe just randomly let the page open to tell what's the lesson I need to learn here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So some of those will be motivational and, you know, key pieces of wisdom. Uh, so those are sprinkled throughout. And some of those will be very practical, like help me with this focus on rest piece. How do I do that again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's the summary on the page. Yeah. So I can look at it. And as I'm doing it, I can refer to it. Just like when I'm cooking my Christmas cookies, I can refer to my baking recipe and say, oh, yes, don't forget the baking powder. <laughs> So part of it is inspirational, but part of it's also very pragmatic. Yes. Because the inspirational is found in your everyday life. Yeah. Oh, I love that saying. The inspiration is found <laughs> in your everyday life. That's a tweetable thing. That's something you can tweet. So so um, just to kind of wrap up here now, Meg, so um, I just want to read out a couple more of your chapters. Um, I got up to number six, which was the unite, unified mindfulness system, and you went into a, a further explanation there. But then the next ones, um, these are the practices. So you have a chapter on practices to appreciate self and world, practices to appreciate patterns in self and world, and then practices to transcend and nurture positive in self and world. Fantastic. <laughs> really practical, really helpful, really taking just, who you know, here am I on my own, but I'm part of a big interconnected world um, that I, I want to serve and I, I want to be the best for and I know I have the capabilities to do that, but I need some help. Absolutely. Well, this is a way of um, a taxonomy, if you will, of organizing different kinds of practices. Uh, it's based upon... Uh, wisdom literature, it's um, and for multiple tr- traditions, it's based upon what we know about change management and the individual and whether it's Aura Sharma or William Bridges or the various theories that we have there. Mm. So it's based upon some fairly fundamental 
processes about learning and change. And so there's a variety of practices in there, but they're all underpinned by a common language, feeling, seeing, hearing. They're often underpinned by a noting practice, which is momentary high concentration. How do you actually pay deep attention? Uh, You can think of a camera lens zooming in and taking a great deal of detail in the photograph every three to five seconds. Um, But putting those in ways that are accessible. So when you're appreciating yourself, it's really becoming aware of the sensory body, uh, the sights and sounds of the world inside and around you. But you're creating that moment of enhanced perspective that allows you to go more deeply and see what you didn't necessarily see before. So you're appreciating, but it's also allowing you to kind of have that healthy distance from yourself that allows you to question, Mm. that allows you to examine, that allows you to perhaps take a new stance, that freedom that we spoke about. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful. I really, really recommend... um what you have in this book and how you've approached it. And I love all the analogies that you use. (laughs) It it is a lot about the accessibility that you talk of. So um, Meg, I want to thank you so much for investing this time with me and um, sharing this wisdom and these practices. And I invite you just by conclusion, if there's something else that I haven't prompted you to, to reflect on, and if you'd like to just in closing, offer us your final thoughts. Thank you, Robin, for the opportunity. And I guess to, I guess to our listeners, I want to say is that um, this is something that has helped so many people and that can help you. Um, try it. And expect there'll be a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Like anything else, it's significant, but it's worth investing some time and energy in. This is one resource that can help you. Um, I think it's a good one, but there are also many others out there. Um, but understand that our capacities to pay attention, our capacities to love and have deep attention are malleable. They are things that you can grow and shape. And I think we all need to these days. So find what works for you, make it work for you. If this can be your resource, wonderful. And, you know, mind your life because when you do life minds you back. So you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. And remember, what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best.